0: I really appreciate names that just tell you what they are. Like, oh, I don't know, Quantum Computing Now or Quantum Computing Inc. And a lot of people have heard about Quantum Computing Inc, but might not know what they do. Uh, all they might know is that they're a publicly traded quantum computing company. So I had the chance to talk with Steve Reinhardt, who's the VP of Product Development at QCI, to learn about what they do, why they focus on optimization, and the possibility of quantum advantage for industrial-relevant problems. Take it away, me from the past. <laughs> All right. So today with me, I have Steve Reinhardt, who is the VP of Product Development at QCI. Uh, Steve, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hi, hey, no problem, Ethan. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. So today we are going to talk all about uh, product development, enterprise, quantum software. How do we develop that? How do we get there? Um, But before we do all that, could you just give us a little bit of your background into how you got into quantum computing?
1: Sure. So I had worked in supercomputing, high-performance computing computing for years, uh, Cray research, STI, et cetera. And uh, some contacts at a customer got me interested in graph uh, analytics, oh, starting in 2003, something like that. And so I kind of I was still doing HPC, but it was kind of pointed towards graph analytics, and one thing led to another. And at a certain point, a former colleague was at D-Wave and said, hey, there's a lot of graphs over here in using these machines effectively, and you'd probably have a lot of fun. So I went to D-Wave in uh, the beginning of 2015 and was there for four years and then joined QCI about two years
0: ago. So hmm. Interesting. So it was it was really the graphs that was that connection that pulls you between, uh, the superconducting and the quantum computing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And w- I guess what, what about the graphs, um, sparked your interest? Why'd you get into interested in that originally?
1: Yeah. So, um, so are a, you know, the, 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 the history of scientific computing is, is heavily about, you know, solving PDEs and dense matrices. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a very regular, um, the computations are very regular. And uh, graphs are also, as a lot of people know, graphs are also rep- well represented by sparse matrices. And sparse matrices have a much uh, more irregular nature. They can still be processed very well by a lot of HPC systems, but they're are very different, the ir- ir- irregularity makes it uh, you know a notch harder um, but it's also high value for some particular workflows. Um, so you know we, we were we were trying to find things that the SGI systems stood out for and and they did stand out for those types of processing and we we're trying to make it even better and so um, understanding how it used the processors, you know, how it transferred memory and the you know, distributed shared memory of the altic systems, et cetera, was um just really interesting. I, I found it challenging.
0: Very cool. Yeah, so that that's what originally got you into quantum computing. But you mentioned that you you worked at D Wave then. Is graphs are, are is QCI working on graphs? I, I guess more broadly, well, where is QCI in the quantum stack? Because I don't I don't know much about you guys.
1: Yeah so we um so our our you know the simple story is we are focused on delivering the power of quantum computers to subject matter experts who are not quantum experts, so you know a protein designer, a logistics person uh uh you know a scheduler um those those kinds of people that that are that they understand constrained optimization but they you know they, they don't know qubits they don't know don't know and don't particularly want to spend the time to learn i mean qubits are cool they're exciting they're fun and i think almost all of us would enjoy learning about it if if we had time and energy but we have finite time and energy and so being able to do it without getting all that detail is uh it, we think is valuable um we're also focused on saying you know the the transition from classical to quantum will be a, f- a fairly long transition, and so we put a lot of attention on let's let's focus on how do we get people to buy into quantum like right at the 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 first possible moment of quantum advantage or even a little bit before. And so the quant- the classical performance has to be superior to what they can do with other methods um, and so that that's kind of focused us on how, how do we go at this So we have you know high- level APIs gives us lots of design freedom underneath to to optimize effectively for various quantum
0: processors. So, yeah, so you're not working at the the process or, the, at the sorry, the processor or the the gate level um, even. You're working more um, high level than that with wrappers and um, pre-built algorithms that people can sort of tap into. Is that right? Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. And we do a lot of optimization kind of at the, at the top end of the stack. You know, if you think of a stack with the hardware at the bottom and the user at the top, um, we're... Maybe a little higher up the stack, so lots of um, optimizations that are specific to constrained optimization, but are independent of processor type.
0: Interesting, In- independent of processor type across different models, so um, superconducting, ion trap, photonic, annealing, or um, is it just like all within all all of them? Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the so that's one of the other advantages is you know at a high level you can say you know our, our kind of core uh, method in our in our API is sample constraint problem, and you and you can you can point that you can point that at, at a various processor by saying you know D Wave Advantage, bracket Ion Q, bracket Rigetti, etc. And that's that's all you have to know about the processor, is just its name, literally.
0: Interesting. So w- would you, I guess, liken this to um, how for an introductory computer science uh, course, you learn about um, bits and uh, logic gates, and you you have that that knowledge. Uh, like theoretically in the back of your head, but you don't need to know exactly how the actual transistors are implemented um, and how they're controlled. But it, it's good to have at least a little bit of that understanding when you're using these higher level things like for loops.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, actually it's interesting. You know, um, it, it's been a while since I took a computer science course <laughs> and and I I don't actually know how much i mean do they teach processor architecture to everybody May, maybe they do i mean it would be completely reasonable but i don't actually know if they do anymore hmm. um you know there are a lot of people who who use computers you know if you think about the kind of the higher level languages the the pythons the matlabs um i would guess most of most of the users are not like completely ignorant but um of computer architecture but you don't need to know much so Oh, it's, it's hard to know.
0: I, I guess I'm thinking more computer science, but a, a software engineer, let's say, probably may, maybe yeah. wouldn't necessarily know all of those details. Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and you're talking a lot about um, these optimization problems. Is that the only area that QCI is working on building these um, higher level APIs for? Um, or are there other other categories?
1: no we 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 focused on constrained optimization and this is kind of the you know we want to be able to deliver uh high level apis we want to deliver performance across a range of of quantum processors and the thing that we have kind of limited ourselves a bit to start with here is just to say we're only going to worry about constrained optimization and doesn't mean that's the only thing we'll do forever and ever but you know that there's plenty of there's plenty to do right there so so we're focused there for the time being oh and and i guess i would mention um maybe obvious to some of your listeners but maybe not to all is um there are a lot of the the in the computationally expensive np hard graph kernels things like um maximum independent set things like graph partitioning things like uh, community detection which uh which are which which we graph geeks think of as graph problems but if you step back from them for a minute and kind of squint at them, you say, oh, actually that's a constrained optimization problem. Hmm. So we do have a graph API, QGraph, uh, and it's it's a fairly thin layer. Basically, it converts the problem to a constrained optimization problem and then solves it the rest of the way with the main constrained optimization pipeline.
0: Okay. Interesting. I, I've heard it the other way around, which is that uh, you can look at pretty much any problem and call it a, if you squint hard enough, you can call it a graph problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Well, we graph geeks like to think of the world that way, but there's <laughs> just not everyone
0: is willing to go along with us. So. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, okay, so I, I mentioned when we got into this uh, that you are a VP of um, product design, and I guess what what does that mean um for for somebody to do product design for quantum computing specifically what makes that different than say product design for um like what what you have done in the past with high performance computing maybe ai ml some of these other um i guess more uh futuristic i guess was the wrong word but uh more advanced uh, types of architecture
1: yeah so um so I'm I'm not I'm not sure there's a a perfect answer to this to this question but I guess the way I think of it um so there's some of those technologies that you mentioned that to my way of thinking have a the the underlying hardware architecture is is evident you 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 just can't think about solving problems there without having that architecture foremost in your mind um you know things like you've got CPUs, you've got GPUs, you've got distributed memory. You need to deal with those. You know, for so for, for HPC and edge computing specifically. I mean, I think you've got those things, where where the the hardware architecture is a first class object in what you're doing. In in other areas, and I think I'm, I'm not an expert in uh, AI or ML, uh, but the way I think of it, um, that, that's a little more of an abstract problem, and I can kind of ignore the 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 computational substrate a little bit i I realize that that falls apart a little bit because people putting things on gpus and tpus and there it's you know more obvious but um kind of the first the first step or two i can take in ai or ml I, i can kind of put on blinders and ignore the hardware architecture whereas hpc and edge computing to my way of thinking, it's just it just kind of smacks you in the face. Um, so I, I, so in that way, I think of quantum computers as as very similar to HPC or edge computing in that um, we we don't necessarily want to. I mean, we at QCI, uh, part of our story is we're, we're not going to drag you down into all the qubits and couplers and circuits. We're gonna we're gonna allow you to stay out of that if you want, um, but the fact that there is a different processor is is, is sometimes going to be evident. And, you, you know, you, you can't, for instance, you, you can't take a little tiny problem and say, oh, go solve that on the, on the quantum computer, because the time to get there and back is going to dwarf any computational advantage of going there. So, so there's some of those kind of uh, basic issues that, um that I, I don't think you can get past um so so that that's that's one thing i so, saw so i think of it as pretty similar obviously the processors are very different uh and and maybe more like gpus in that they are not um not general purpose i mean I'm not that close to GPUs, but I, I think for the most part, people don't think about running an operating system on a GPU. You think about running like some little tiny executive program there. Um, a, a, another thing that comes to mind here is that, in my view, an underappreciated aspect of new computing architectures is finding the APIs that uh, that that do three things number one they deliver good performance number two they are high level enough that lots of people can use them and see they're not so high level they're high level enough but not so high level that system developers um can't implement them. Don't have a lot of freedom to to deliver very high performance. Um, so I, you know, I I worked for SGI for a few years, and I was on the the compute side, the the server side of there. But obviously, SGI was originally known for its its uh, visualization workstations, and they had a, an API called OpenGL, which I'm not an expert in that, but was apparently really, really well done in that it 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 was it expressed uh concepts that people who wanted to visualize very easily grasped. And yet at the same time, it gave a huge amount of design space underneath the API for system developers to to do whatever they thought was possible to, to deliver good performance. And um, you know, to me, that's a place where, in, in the, the the distributed memory computing, you know, it, basically all of HPC supercomputing these days is distributed memory, and w- we didn't do a great job of that as an industry. And and you know, MPI is a pretty low level interface, and that was that still is the dominant API, and it's it's, it's it can be hard to innovate underneath. MPI, and it you know it took a while before some of the things like uh, Shmem or Coarray Fortran came out that, that kind of in my opinion kind of got the the API up a high enough level so that you enabled lots of innovation underneath, which to my way of thinking, if you really want performance, you want to have a lot of people able to work on that at multiple layers of the stack and uh so so I think it's important that we with quantum computers that we find APIs that meet those criteria, that that, that they're not just, oh, well, this, is, this allows me to get my finger on every last qubit and control it. That's useful in one way, but it also means that in five years, you're going to have a customer saying, well, I'm used to using this and I don't want to change. And, well, that may not be the best way to do it anymore.
0: So 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 one of the main challenges it sounds like is finding an API that is low level enough to give decent control over the the technicals of what's going on but high level enough that you don't need to understand everything that's going on with your quantum computer in order to use it does that sound right yeah yeah, yeah. interesting okay so uh, the next question is: um, As you're as you're going through all of this, talking about um, building these APIs, um, I, I wonder: Is is it possible? Because um, you mentioned earlier uh, talking about we want to give an actual advantage to people who are using this, get customers in either at Quantum Advantage or maybe a little bit before. So I guess the question is: Are we? Which one of those are we? Are we at it, or are we a little bit before? Um, can we actually get practical advantage on quantum computers? Um, and uh, if so, why isn't everybody doing it? Uh, and if not, how do how do we get there?
1: So, to, to, to my to my knowledge, the answer is no. Uh, I'm not aware of anybody who is solving a real world problem that they care about better. However, they define better on a quantum computer or, or even a hybrid quantum-classical. Um, I'm not aware of anybody doing that in in a routine way. You know, just they do it every day or every week because that's when they run that problem. Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that somebody is doing it. If, if you if if you were able to to have that computational advantage. You know, in certain industries like financial services, you'd be motivated to keep your mouth shut um, <laughs> if it gives you an advantage. But, um, but I, I think word would leak out. Uh, I, I, it's pretty hard to keep that quiet. So I, I'm not aware of any, but um, the, it, it's possible it's happening. But I'm not aware of any.
0: So how do we how do we get from here to the point where we actually can get some? practical advantage on these quantum computers.
1: Right. So the the way I think of it is um kind of visually, we so today if if I had the best classical sampler to, to solve an optimization problem, and I said, okay, I'm gonna somehow attach the best QPU for that problem. To the side of it, the best it could do is not slow it down. Hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any benefit to be had. Um, so that's where we are today, and we expect: is it a year? Is it two years? We expect that pretty soon we will start to find an advantage. Sometimes, okay, so. That that might be sometimes and that might be a a performance advantage, but not a price performance advantage, which brings in some interesting wrinkles of its own. Um but you know, you t- you take that and then you know another couple years, then maybe it'll be to the point where oh, okay, well, we can kind of often get some quantum advantage. Um, and then you know, is it 10 years, is it 15 years? The classical is still going to be hybrid, but the classical will be like the gardener for the 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 quantum that's doing you know the great bulk of the work. And so, I, I, to me, it's kind of you know we have uh, one today. The uh, the classical is doing a hundred a hundred percent of the gainful work, and in pick your number, 10 years, 15 years, the quantum will be doing, call it 99% of the gainful work. Well, it's not a step function between those two things. You know, we, we want to deliver value in two years and five years and seven years and nine years and 12 years. And so we, to me, we just have to think about we're scaling up the quantum and we're scaling down when appropriate, we're scaling down the classical. And so, um, that that's kind of the picture I have in my mind. Is, is we need and 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 we don't have great insight, great control over when those steps, those performance steps, are going to happen. And so we need to be have a pretty flexible architecture that uh, you know it enables you to do that uh, in steps as. Faster QPUs, as faster classical methods. Faster. I mean, we're, we're all going to learn a lot during this. I mean, classical methods, and the the classical part of a hybrid classical quantum sampler will be uh, w- w- we'll learn a ton on that. You know, over the next ten years. Um, but but it needs to permit that uh, the support enables that um, kind of stepwise movement through where we are now. Where they're really interesting they're really cool and they don't actually deliver concrete value to anybody today.
0: Huh. Yeah, uh, you 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 used a term that I'm I'm not familiar with. You uh, give a distinction between um performance and price performance and I I don't know what that means. Could you elaborate on that a bit?
1: Sure. So, um well, uh, I guess I'll date myself. So, uh when when at a certain point, I worked at Cray Research uh, long ago and far away. And uh, early in, in Cray's life, it had the best performance by a, a significant stretch for most problems, and it also had the best price performance. If you know, with if you wanted perf- performance that was in one order of magnitude, say, of of the best performance, then it had the best price performance as well. What happened over time, you know? So if I think about, I don't know, 1992, 1994, or something like that, the the uh, the C90 system was Cray C90 system was still the fastest processor for many many problems, not all, but for many many problems. Um, but it was, um, let me think, it was the the price per processor was call it two million dollars to pick a round number. Um, and and typically you would buy it in a 16 processor system, um, and then you could buy the IBM Risk System to 6000, so RS6000, for some especially scalar workloads, it was as fast as the Cray C90 processor, and it was. I, I won't remember exactly what the number was, but it was maybe $40,000 instead of $2 million. And so, you know, an issue we had at Cray was we could say, oh, well, okay, on, on our workload, on 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 a workload you care about, we are twice as fast. But if, if they were smart and they were, if the customer was smart and they were, you know, flexible enough to use a different processor, um, plausibly their their workload could run on on a RS six thousand. It's only it's twice as slow, but it's twenty times, say, cheaper. And so some people will say, I can take advantage of that. So that's the difference between performance and price
0: performance. Okay. Yeah. So the the quantum version of this would be you have a quantum computer that outperforms a classical computer but the classical computer is your laptop and costs 200 bucks and the quantum computer, uh, requires a dilution refrigerator and costs 2 million.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and speaking of dropping $2 million on quantum computer, um, a, a question that I've, I've got is how much of a market is there for this enterprise quantum computing? Um, and, uh, I don't want you to give away too much obviously um but some sort of indication um would be would be interesting
1: Yeah so I I mean it, it's obvious to me and and I, I you know we we are of one mind within QCI that, that that there's a huge market um it's almost wholly contingent on our I mean our QCI but also our the industry's ability to to deliver performance on real world problems We haven't been able to do that yet. Uh, I I think there's been a lot of progress towards that, but that's what what companies and and large organizations will pay a lot of money for. I mean, a lot of people are experimenting, and that's a necessary precursor to widespread adoption. But at some point, we have to get to widespread adoption, and that depends on delivered performance for high-value problems.
0: So, yeah, interesting um, it, you've you said earlier, and actually um thinking about this uh this other quote that I've heard, um where people have said that um, they think that quantum computing will be somewhere between or maybe more than uh, ten to twenty percent of overall enterprise computing uh you you mentioned going from one hundred percent classical. To ninety nine percent quantum, um, do you think that you know far enough out will be at the point where classical really will play that that small of a uh, a role in enterprise compute workloads?
1: Right. I, so yeah, I, sh- I should clarify my my earlier statement. So I, I what I was thinking there was I, I was speaking of for a specific constrained optimization problem being solved by a, a hybrid class, I mean, classical quantum solver that's how the, the 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 distribution of work would go um i I, just, I i'm 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 definitely not claiming that 99% of all work will be on quantum computers in 15 years i i, I haven't thought about that question and off the top of my head that seems like a gross overstatement <laughs> um I, I i mean it's it's really it's really hard to say for a couple of reasons um number 1 how do you count the percentage um if you know if, if thinking of it in classical terms we might say well how many operations can we do on the classical versus the quantum well it's apples and kumquats they're, they're just to to me i mean you know maybe somebody else has a better idea but to me there's no way to compare those they're just they're just very very different um, in terms of, there's no way to count the ops or count the flops in the quantum computer and, and make it relevant for the way we we, we use classical processors. Um, you know, one way, you know, we're a capitalist society here in the U S and one way we do this is, is we just say, well, we keep track of how much money is spent. And so I, maybe that's what we wind up with is saying, you know, the, the, the classical computer market is however big it is. I don't know what that number is. And, you know, if we come back in five years or 10 years and we include quantum computing in that, what fraction of that is being spent on quantum computers instead of classical computers. So that, that to me would be a reasonable, um, reasonable way to do it. That, that may be unsatisfying from a, how many ops point of view, but I don't know how to solve that problem anyway. Um, yeah. there's and and to, to, I guess in my experience there's there are a couple things that play into this. So so number one, for a very different technology like quantum computers are, it's it's very hard to take an existing application and migrate it to the new technology, and so, as a consequence, I mean if we look at gPUs, for instance, which you know over the last ten or maybe fifteen years have gone from uh, a, a curiosity to used heavily for lots of core computation, not just visualization and th- there are some codes that have been reworked to say they'll they'll enable a the use of a Qpu but more than that uh, you know as as I've seen it it's people adopt you know the GPU and the ability to use a GPU for a new application because there you know there's there's some with with new technologies as as much as we as software engineers we try to design our 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 architectures, software architectures, to not be overly dependent on hardware details, it's hard. And and we often fall short. And so you come back and I mean it happened with distributed memory versus shared memory. It happened with GPUs versus CPUs. Um and and I expect it to happen again with QPUs versus classical processors you you come back and you say well I could rework this but some of the assumptions are like so built into this that it it's going to be a lot of work so what I what I often look for is when do you know the large organizations the the NASAs the 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 high end um the the, the US uh DE labs the the you know the, the high end uh developers in financial services or um the, the weather centers. That, um, when do they say, "Oh, okay, I need to be taking into account that that my application going forward needs to use this new technology," and and they don't do that until things have settled down a little bit. So the the the, the potential performance has been proven, has been delivered for some problems, and th- there is some settling of. What's the best way to get that performance? Um, so to me, I kind of look at that and say, and that, that's as much a software thing as there's a hardware thing, uh, but it's also kind of a, you know, to use an overused term, kind of an ecosystem thing. And it's like, everybody kind of looks at each other and says, well, do you, do I trust you that you're actually going to do what you said you are going to do? And, you know, do the hardware people trust the software people and the software people trust, trust the customers and. Do we all trust each other? We're actually going to do this. we're actually going to do all this development and spend this money, and at some point, you know it it, it often um, gets to that point, and people say, yes, we're doing this um, but but it's so i I look at that. when do people say if you're building a new app, you have to kind of build in the build in the presumption that you're going to use a quantum computer. It has to be developed in a quantum ready way. Um, we're not there yet and and i think that will be very discipline specific you know we're not going to be doing lots of partial differential equations with quantum computers anytime soon constrained optimization i think you know will be much earlier so it it'll be kind of workload specific
0: hmm. yeah that that's something that i think a lot of people are are thinking about which is this this idea of um the the space of tools to decide from is a little bit hectic right now. You know, you've got Giscuit <laughs> and Cirque and, uh, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields and, uh, all of, all of these different things that often sort of do the same thing. Um, and they all like, there's a Cirque plugin for Penny Lane and, uh, vice versa. And they all access all of the same hardware in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that this idea of like a, a settling down um it, it makes a lot of sense and th- it makes sense that companies would start buying in after that um like are really really buying in um uh, and yeah so i've just got a couple more questions here um mm-hmm. the last one something i, I wanted to ask about because you said something interesting in a previous interview um where you said that the the diversity of results rather than the uh, speed or quality of results uh, might be the first place that we see quantum advantage um, and uh, do you think that's still true um, has your opinion changed or uh, yeah maybe just elaborate on that
1: yeah so um, so I'm I'm not certain that that will be the f- the the primary dimension in which uh, quantum computers differentiate initially but but I think it's possible and I th- I think that could well contribute. Um, I mean, so the the context here is there there are some use cases where you really want the best answer. Uh, you know, if if you're if you're packing equipment into a spaceship that you're going to send to Mars or or actually even farther than Mars. Mars isn't that far anymore. It only takes what a year to get there or something but if if you're going to put it in something you know you're going to send it on a 20 year trip well if you have to you you really want to put everything in there that you can put in there and so if you have to con- compute for another day or another week to get more stuff in there you might well be willing to do that you really really care about the best answer so there are use cases like that there are other use cases where uh diversity of of answers is, I would say, about as important as. I mean, you want good answers, you want very good answers, but you also want a lot of them. Uh, so I I hear about uh, protein design workflows, and the the computational step there is, like step one of fourteen, and it's not necessarily the most time consuming or the most costly. And, and and most of the steps downstream can accept multiple candidates. So if, if at the computational stage, you can come out with, well, here's not just the best answer we found, but here's a thousand answers that are almost as good as that best answer, maybe indistinguishable from that best answer. Then the whole rest of that workflow, you have a thousand candidates instead of one, and when you get to the end of it, you're much more likely to have a, 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 a you know a, a an, an end result that is what you wanted. And so we've heard that from from a handful of early users saying that the diversity is really important and um and and it's it's also kind of a new thing it, I mean it's not the 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 classical constraint optimization tools are not ignorant of diversity but it hasn't really been a focus at least as as far as i can tell and so but diversity is is inherent in today's quantum computers and and i'm i'm sure many of your listeners will have heard the term nisc uh, uh near term uh intermediate intermediate scale quantum computers uh nisq computers and so for for nisc computers and for quantum annealers they are probabilistic processors so you you don't you don't run your circuit just once you don't uh, run the anneal cycle just once. You run it a hundred times, or a thousand times, or ten thousand times. Um, and so, when you do that, you get back a set of answers. And if you're lucky, if you, if your if your process, and I, I I think of it as a a hybrid classical quantum process because that's that's what will deliver su- superior results, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, if that is good then it's delivering a diversity of very good answers and that's that's a new thing and if 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 i built my workflow with it with you know 10 years ago and i wasn't thinking about quantum computers and i wasn't thinking about diversity to all of a, all of a sudden have well okay now i didn't get back just one answer i got a thousand answers back well that kind of percolates up into my workflow. It's not just something I can make a, a you know narrow replacement in my in my code. Mm. Um, it's I mean the, the benefit of that you know ripples out into other parts of the of the of the workflow. So it 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 won't be I, I at least I I don't think it will be valuable everywhere, but I think there are a number of places where it will be valuable. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, I, I think I think speed and quality of results will also be very important. I mean, there are plenty of cases we hear about where um, you want to you, you want to you wanna solve a problem, and you know, in the industrial world, you have eight minutes to do it. So you need your answer, and at the end of eight minutes, you take the best answer you have, and if it's if it's not so great, it's not so great, and Maybe your tool doesn't get selected. Um, so but, but I, I think diversity is, will be uh, will be a valuable thing.
0: very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was good to hear that um, people are looking at more than just how fast can we do it and how good can we make the results. Um, but yeah, so last couple questions here uh, that I always end the show with. First one is, what do you see as the biggest problem in quantum computing right now?
1: uh define problems
0: <laughs> challenges to be overcome uh as we scale quantum computers and make them useful
1: mm, okay well on the technical side uh just just scaling the the number of qubits and the connections is 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 a daunting uh technical task. Uh, error correction is another one that just I think everyone is well, almost everyone is almost quaking in their boots that about how we're going to solve that. Uh and and, and it, I I'm not that close to it, but it, it seems like a justifiable concern. Um, I guess it, it it I I think there's also a um m- maybe it's just uh, unavoidable at this stage but there is so much um, so much variety of uh processors technologies to build processors software interfaces that um, you know it's uh, it, it, it even even if you're paying attention it's it's not hard to kind of lose the signal for the noise um and and that's just an attribute of a market that you know essentially everybody expects to be high value and every, everybody wants a piece of it and you know so this is this is uh i don't know if there's any uh remedy for this but it's um it, it's an issue i mean especially considering when we look at you know how long is it before we get to quantum advantage if that's you know if, if that drags out then the confusion it, it you know just kind of dissipates the energy uh confusion the the uh, the variety of 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 solutions just kind of dissipates the the energy and 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 there is when i say energy i mean you know money and expertise and the number of people it it is finite i mean it can grow but it is finite and if we dilute it too far then we don't make as much progress so um again i I, maybe it's unfair to call that a a problem maybe that's just reality but um (laughs) But that's that's definitely something that's out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so then the the flip side of this question is, what do you see as the biggest promise from quantum computing?
1: Well, one one um, major upside. I mean, so I, I've I've spent my career in supercomputing, high performance computing, so. You know, I just kind of believe uh, from the outset that faster computing is a good thing and, and and faster computing in a forty point font is a good thing um, so whether it's classical or quantum, it's a good thing uh so so there's that and and I think there is tremendous promise um, it's also. I I I think it we could do th- there are a number of particular societal problems that we could address. I mean everybody talks about the the fertilizer I forget the the name for that process but it's it's woefully inefficient and but it's the best we know. And so if we could make that you know 2% better we would you know there's something like I figure what it is, 7% of human energy consumption is on fertilizer production, something like that. So if we could make it noticeably more efficient, that would be a huge win. So there are a number of things like that 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 obviously benefit. The the, the one that um, I think is easy to overlook is um, that the quantum computers are pretty low power. You know, if if you look at a supercomputer, I mean, like there's the there are comparisons here done recently with the Summit super, supercomputer that IBM built. And, you know, they were in some of the quantum supremacy and the the, the response to the quantum, Google quantum, quantum supremacy notes. Well, I, I forget exactly what that is, but what the what the uh, power requirement of Summit is. But it's I think it's above 10 megawatts. And it may be close to 20. I, I may be confusing that with some future system that was, was tagged at that, but it, it is a, it, it consumes a, a, a lot of power. And the quantum processors, for the most part, to my understanding, are, are very low power. And so that could be, you know, a kind of a, if, if there's, if we can, if we can actually do a bunch of work that we're now doing classically, quantumly, there actually could be a noticeable power savings there, which would be a a nice thing. You know, it's, it's one 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 factor for uh, heating the, the atmosphere that doesn't have to have to happen.
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, uh, if people are interested in learning more about um, you, QCI, uh, these things that we've talked about, uh, where can people go to get more resources?
1: Yeah, uh, so our website is quantumcomputinginc.com. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff there. We have uh, information about it. Our, our our main product is called Catalyst with a Q. Of everything has to be spelled with a Q. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that's probably the best place. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you, and I've learned a lot. No problem, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I got an email from Marco letting me know about a new quantum material that exhibits uh, quantum properties Specifically, it talked about um, quantum criticality and quantum phase transitions, both of which I don't fully understand. Um, But the researchers say that the material was quantum critical without any external influence, whereas most other materials you need some sort of electromagnetic field um, influencing it. The researchers say that this might be useful um, in terms of building topological qubits, with this new material because it doesn't need that outside influence. Um, I'm not sure exactly how useful this this will be for quantum computing. Um, There's there's really only a passing mention to this topological qubits part, Um, but it might be really interesting later on. I know that uh, if we are able to get topological qubits, that could be a really big step forward. Um, But yeah, not entirely sure exactly how useful that's going to be, but I thought that it would be interesting to bring that up and uh, put a link in the show notes in case you want to go check out more about that. Um I also got an anchor voice message, and I'll go ahead and play it right now. Hi, Ethan. I'm Keisha, and uh, I just recently discovered your podcast, and I think you're
1: doing a really good job. Um I would be interested in um an episode on one of the major applications of quantum computing, which is quantum chemistry, particularly um what does you know the current state of development in of quantum computers, um, allows or doesn't allow us to do in the, um, in the field of theoretical chemistry or even material physics for that matter. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to uh, listen to a discussion on some developments in that area. Thanks.
0: So I think that that would make an excellent episode topic, and if anyone knows of someone in quantum computing who might be a good guest to talk about where quantum chemistry is today, feel free to reach out and let me know. Uh, you can do that by sending me a DM on Mines, um, or at my at one Ethan Hansen on Mines. You can shoot me an email, 1ethanhansen at protonmail.com, or you can send in an anchor voice message, and if you're okay with it, um, I'll ask before I do this, but if you're okay with it, I'd love to play it in the show. Um, you can get your voice out there and uh, yeah have my have your message played on my podcast okay everything that Steve and I talked about is linked in the show notes there's not much just the QCI website and a link to the catalyst homepage um, but that is as per our usual arrangement. And uh, I would also like to bring to your attention this Google quantum AI map. Um, So Google does their quantum computing stuff under the AI division, so it's quantum AI. And they've published this really cool, interactive, beautiful roadmap showing how they're going to get to 1 million qubits. Now, I am not endorsing this saying that it is realistic or I think that they're actually going to be able to achieve this. Of course, they do have the resources of Google backing them. So if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's probably Google. That being said, I think that you should go check it out just as an example of how the field might progress, and it's also just fun and interesting and informative to scroll through. Um, I I really enjoyed it, and uh, I think you will too, so I've got a link to that in the show notes as well. If you would like to support me so that I can make more and better episodes, please support me on Anchor. There's a link to that in the show notes, or you can send me some crypto. I've got addresses in the show notes for that as well. Thank you for listening, and I'll have the next episode out when I get to it.